All the Rage with John Bowd on www.tracksfm.org. Uh, welcome, welcome to John Bowd's All the Rage. We had a bit of a break last week, uh, but we're back in fine style uh, this evening. Uh, a bit chilly. Um, we're sort of touching spring here. I saw the buds on the tree in my back garden, which is always a good sign. Reminds me, I must cut them. Not the buds, no, it's the February, tree. It's not. Anyway, it's still February. That's right. Yeah. Um, um, uh, yeah. Um, we're going to be talking about a few issues, but more so on the issue of housing. John? Yeah. Um, I want to say something about, well, funny enough, sort of relating to housing too, in a manner of speaking, before we start, which is about the recent fascist attack in Knowsley. And then then we'll go into the main body of tonight's episode, which is a couple of examples, uh, one example of alternative housing and one of the, uh, an example of housing that you might recognise from back in the day, if some of you are old enough. Uh, firstly, shout out to the uh, Coventry Amazon workers who are going out on strike again soon. Uh, they announced that this week. Uh, solidarity. Uh, hopefully it will be within the next annual leave period for me so I can maybe get a couple of days off and I might even go down there and support them. That would be good. But uh, yeah, keep keep going. It's what we need. There's been some action on a few of the the uh, ununionizable companies this week past couple of weeks starbucks and and amazon and tesla even uh, there's been some good stories maybe we should we should pull some of those up and cover them at some point but in the meantime uh, recently there was an attack on a hotel in nosley just outside liverpool this attack was orchestrated by far-right extremists and specifically fascist organizations it resulted in a riot over the very presence of asylum seekers within that hotel This attack was also a direct result of a relentless mainstream political and media campaign against migrants, asylum seekers and refugees that has once again resulted in violent action on the streets against the most vulnerable of people. Firstly, this absolutely was a far-right or fascist attack, depending on how you want to term it. The same groups uh, and many of the same faces were present, such as Patriotic Alternative, who are an outright neo-Nazi organisation, Uh, that use the usual tropes, in this case the supposed concern over local women's safety after a story that was made up after the fact circulated about a young girl being approached by an asylum seeker, uh, as similarly to perhaps a young white woman being approached by a young black man sometime in the early 20th century uh, America, which is exactly the same stories that were used to try and justify the Ku Klux Klan. This made-up situation was then dealt with by a mob performing street violence outside the venue and chanting for those inside to be removed somehow. The blaming of an entire group for any crime, even an imagined one, is typical of the far right and is instrumental in fascist ideology. This, of course, as I said, goes back to the Klan claiming they were protecting their womenfolk from being preyed on by lascivious black men. Uh, Something made very explicit in the film Birth of a Nation, if you uh, want an example of, of what that was how that was portrayed actually if not invented by that film certainly that film was instrumental in the the rebirth of the clan in uh, the modern era it now manifests itself as pretending that white british people in this case specifically women or young girls are somehow under threat from a group of outsiders who somehow it is possible to imagine have come to britain looking for safety while also greatly capable of, of seeing the people here as somehow worthy of abuse 
and further this assumption becomes truth without any proof uh, according to to this these kind of stories and assumptions this fake concern for women a false feminism just so happens to cross over with the anti-trans movement there's a surprise which is a major battleground for the fascist and far right at this time in both britain wider around europe and america we see the right obsess over the status and genitals of trans people specifically women and the process subject them to great dehumanization this is just another way for them to try and enter the mainstream, but also to pursue their agenda of scapegoating one group so essentially they can scapegoat them all. They never stop at one group, the, the fascists, uh, and the same folk, Muslims, the Jews, the LGBT organized, uh, 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 folks, sorry, the people, the left-wingers, always get the same attacks eventually. Uh, it's almost like there's a sliding scale. The idea they care about women is also utterly ludicrous. Uh, as as many of their number are usually quite busy slapping the shit out of their wives and, and kids themselves. So yeah, they, they don't, they don't care. Fascist organizations are full of sexual abusers too. Uh, many of them have housed child sex offenders over the years. Uh, Patriotic Alternative saw the jailing of uh, a young fella who was, um, yeah, the, the, he was directly involved in uh, threatening to kill the Labour MP, Rosie Cooper, I think it was, uh, who also turned out to have groomed a couple of young boys in his in his off times uh, whilst also making great statements about homosexuality being unnatural etc etc there is zero evidence of anyone staying at that hotel abusing or even approaching anyone there is plenty of evidence of other groups of people abusing women and children however none of which is ever protested by this gaggle of far-right pussies the far-right do not protest the police when they are caught sexually assaulting or even raping and murdering women they never protested the Catholic Church when the child abuse scandals broke. They have never protested public schools in this country, despite the well-known history of systematic sexual abuse that takes place within them. In fact, they are more likely to speak on the stages of these institutions when they're invited by the chinless dipshits who think it's very funny to invite far-right people onto their stages. <laughs> Free speech, y'all. They have never demanded the police be held to account for their dismissal of vulnerable young girls being abused, which led to their abuse carrying on. And most of all, they never talk about the vast majority of child sexual abusers being white and British born. Not to mention the fact that that kind of abuse takes place in families all of the time. All they do is bully those most vulnerable than uh, more and more vulnerable than them, those that are the most vulnerable, uh, as part of their vile agenda of hate and make up the reasons later on which in turn helps the mainstream political establishment and their media lackeys to distract from the real issues facing, facing excuse me, the majority of people every day in this utterly failing country. Drastically worse living conditions, failure for wages to rise with increasing inflation, the systematic dismantling of our healthcare system, etc., etc. No asylum seeker ever cut your pay, increased your energy bills like the greedy bastards we are dealing with now, or has ever evicted you. This is about distraction and being a bully, always picking on the ones who can't fight back. Collective punishment is not acceptable, even if someone from any group of minorities of a minority does commit a crime. But most importantly, right now, the majority of people realize this so-called concern and outright bigotry around migration is very low right now, as far as the, the wider country is concerned, despite a reported increase in immigration. What is front and center is our anger that we are directing it. Uh, is our anger and we are directing it uh, where it belongs towards government and corporations and those keeping us powerless and we are organizing and winning in this area 
Multiple trade union wins have occurred recently, a national movement holding the government to account, making demands on increasing taxes on the rich and profits, providing safety, security and warmth for all. This is why they want you to hate migrants and asylum seekers. And this is why they put forward truly appalling, vile creatures who uh, who can get away with it, frankly, because of their colour, such as Suella Braverman and Pretty Patel. Now, not that they actually need someone like that. They can normally just put forward a, a vicious white bastard and they'll do the job for you. Now, all of the, uh, as these facts stand, but I also want to add a little something here. Uh, I don't like what-ifs or games like that, but I do think that this one is important because this is something about collective punishment. Would you imagine that somebody from, say, Iraq or Afghanistan has an understandable and acceptable grievance against the people of Britain? or the people of America, for bombing their country to, to death, the deaths of certainly very many people, for running it into the ground, for destroying it. Do you think anybody in Libya has a acceptable grievance against the British people for overthrowing their leadership and now producing a country that's so disorganised, no one's sure which government is which, and black people are openly sold at slave markets in the middle of the street? Imagine if someone from Yemen decided to attack Britain. They could truthfully say that the British manufacture weapons that are sold to Saudi Arabia and used in their brutal war against the Yemeni people. They have killed thousands and all calls to cease selling these weapons have been resisted or ignored. A Yemeni citizen has a legitimate beef of some description with this country over its actions towards them. You could have actually been directly involved in manufacturing the weapons that killed members of their family, including their children. Imagine, if you like, this person has a family that was killed by the British musicians. Would this justify some kind of collective punishment towards Britain? Would this justify at the extreme end a terrorist attack even? Let's, let's, let's reduce that one. Maybe not, but at the very least, some kind of international sanctions against Britain. Do you think that's justified? If such a terrible thing happened and someone condemned it, but also pointed out that they thought our imaginary Yemeni citizen here had a legitimate grievance, would well, you think such a person should be heard or not? Inevitably, they would be strung out, uh, to, uh, strung out to dry by our out-of-control media. If they were any part of, say, the Labour Party, for instance, they would be attacked by the leadership of that party. Do you think that would be worthwhile? Do you think that's legitimate? Imagine a British person is in Yemen. Is that person an acceptable target? Imagine, for instance, a very common white crime, which is a group of men beating the crap out of one person as you've seen many occasions on CCTV footage, you may be even seen in the street on drunken nights yourself. Does that then mean that white British people, just as just as one group that I can pick on right now, and I'm, and I'm doing that, um, does that mean that they're then sort of open to abuse? Is it acceptable? Is it acceptable to hate folks like that because of one crime? Does anyone think that such a collective punishment could ever be justified? I suspect that we agree on this one and that both of us think no. But if collective punishment is not justified here, why is it justified in other places, in other cases? You've got to ask yourself. Aside from the obvious human rights issues here, do not allow ourselves to be distracted, okay? We are fighting back against this miserable, corrupt, inhumane system, and we are achieving great victories, okay? Fuck the agents of sabotage, no to culture war, no right-wing kickback, death to capitalism, and tomorrow is going to be a better day. This is just the same old fascist bullshit, and it needs to be met with the fiercest of resistance. The very act of these groups existing is an act of violence. This week, the group National Action, which have already been banned in this country because they're, they're considered to be so extreme 
and that's saying something from this government, sent two letters. They sent one to Dr. Shola Mozshumabamu, I hope I pronounced that right, apologies if I didn't, who is a lawyer and political activist who received a letter from the neo-Nazi group National Action at her, on the London Division, in fact, at her home, informing her that they intended to execute her and her whole family. India Willoughby, a newsreader, also got a similar letter because she's a trans woman. This declaration on all those involved, even at the periphery, is an act of violence itself. So do not lecture me on how to engage with these fuckers. Boots to the head and to the balls all the way. That's how you deal with them. We're also seeing lots of uh, crap about trans folk in, in prisons, uh, you know, trans women in women's prisons. Just, just want to drop a little statistic on you. Since 2010, out of the 122 sexual assaults, committed in prisons against females five were perpetrated by a trans person and by the way since when did any of you give a shit about sexual assault in prison it's the kind of thing that your weak ass stand-up comedians normally make jokes about and you giggle so shut the fuck up okay before we go on to housing dave do you want to come back on that particular issue uh no um it's um it's interesting um it's so the young lady that went to um iraq shamina Oh, Shemaine Bagram. Right. So um, I was on a postman's forum today, and um, after the select committee thing, um, a postman uh, put up a picture of her saying that she failed to get a visa. Um, And luckily, other postmen jumped in and said, I didn't realise this is a forum for gammons, um, because he put this made my day or something stupid like that. And I remember when that happened... And there was a knee-jerk reaction of patriotism or nationalism, John. Um, and it was, a, you know, and people jumping out. And I, even my wife said to me, you're going to say something liberal about her wanting to come back. And so I'm not saying anything. I said, let this pan out. Let's see how it works out. And it's interesting that they did a wonderful, and I knew they would do this anyway, John, but they did a documentary on about what, what it was like for her. You know, they interviewed her, interviewed yeah. why she went and everything. And it's interesting that there was a knee-jerk reaction at the time of nationalism and patriotism. But yet when you mention that guy grooming young guys um, on that TV program about racism and stuff, and you've mentioned it just now, um, you know, we don't we see grooming just because Pakistanis might be doing it, but we don't see grooming and... And, and influencing people to hate other people when Tommy's little Tommy's mates do it. It's it's yeah. all the same. When you groom these people, it's all the same. It, they're groomed to hate, you know, and that's what happened with that girl. And yeah, that, and that and documentary I, that came out actually showed how they did it. And people sort of said, actually, I don't hate her so much, you know. And yeah, well, again... This Sorry. is what happens, isn't it? So, I mean, as I say, this happens, you know, vulnerable people, vulnerable, uh, quite often when they're teenagers in particular, get groomed into this. Um, especially they, you know, they, they get told that, I mean, it always starts from somewhere which makes some degree of sense, right? Which is to say the world that you live in, whether, whether personally or in the wider social context is not good. And, uh, and, and you're having, you're having a terrible time of it. For people who are not as, not fortunate enough to be as well socialized as, as everyone does. And again, that's not a personal fault. Sometimes, you know, people fall through the cracks in this society of ours. Uh, you know, how often do you hear tales of people 
dying in in a flat and they're not discovered for for years you know that i remember once seeing a film about that because it was one case it was such a rarity that the the um the great filmmaker carol morley made a film all about it nowadays i see it as a news report on on more than a few occasions um you know it's it's easy for people to fall through the the cracks for various reasons so no one's blaming you but nevertheless you know people are, are vulnerable for various reasons they're very easy to uh, to dupe to recruit um and in fact you know even even more mainstream i don't want to refight the brexit referendum i'm not interested but there was a whole bunch of stuff said about that that was complete lies uh where's the 350 million a week for the nhs I mean, it's very simple. Where is it? I'm not. I'm not asking you to justify your vote. I'm not, you know, being a, a sneering uh, lefty metropolitan falafel eater, um, even though I am. But I, you know, I'm just asking you. Where's the 350 million, mate? Where's the money? Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I mean, you know, this person was was um, was groomed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, sure they were. But you know, they're but for the grace of whoever you believe in. Go, go most of us, frankly. It can happen to anybody. But anyway, sorry, carry on. I interrupted you. No, no, you, you're absolutely right. And I, I, think we should, I think we should switch off the TV. Uh, when we see this, um, I, I think if I see something more than three times in, on TV or in any sort of format, I, I sort of say, well, I'm not reading that anymore because someone's trying to push something in my face. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good policy, I think. Yeah. yeah, someone's trying to do something here and I don't like it. Um, let me make up my own bloody mind. Put down the Daily Mail, throw it in the bin. In fact, switch off your telly and have a click, and let's just train ourselves to not have a knee-jerk reaction, especially when someone puts the British flag in front of you and says, "You've got to believe in this. Look at this, and look at this flag here. They hate our country." Mm. Hold off there. I understand if it's a security risk. I get that, regardless of what country you're in. I get that if this is a security risk, but hold off from the um, sentiment, please, and definitely hold off from them opinions. And whoever put that picture of that girl up on that postman's forum, yes, you are a gammon. Don't do that, John. Well, not only that, I mean, you so said this made my day. Uh, the CEO and the chairman and uh, uh, that knuckle-dragging boot boy, Macaulay, getting battered by a select committee, of, you know, of the chairman of Royal Mail getting battered by a select committee is the kind of thing that should have made your day. Uh, if it didn't, then perhaps you're in the wrong job, or certainly in the wrong union. Uh, you know, maybe go and go and form yourself a racist union. It, you know, it's re- and as for the the state of the country, I, I mean, we could go over this one till the cows come home, and we won't get the main point of tonight's show done. So all I'll say is, right now, due to the actions of government, due to the out of control power of of companies that are allowed to fill our seas with shit. Uh, due to these actions that have led to increased poverty, increased precariousness and insecurity, mental health struggles for the more people, the healthcare system being planned to fail and collapse. I hate this country. What are you going to do? You're going to throw me out? Come and get me. Come and try me. That's the, John, so John, what? John, yeah, how can you hate a landmass, you stupid fucking people? John, look in the mirror. You're white. <laughs> 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 also, by the way, I love—I absolutely love the fact that your wife said to you, "Oh, are you going to say something liberal tonight?" <laughs> then I, I, was, I don't know if I was insulted or proud, actually, <laughs> because I'm normally a knock it on the ear, do the lambada type person. Well, being being as I'm a, a hardcore left wing Marxist 
socialist, anarchoist, whatever. Um, I would consider being called a liberal a massive insult, actually. Uh, but there you go. <laughs> I'll have you know, madam, I'm substantially more effective than that. Anyway. Um, well, well, we must record this because I've had to remind John to tell him that he's white. <laughs> <laughs> Always good to remind me. Ever since I heard my first public enemy record as a teenager, I seem to have forgotten. Don't, don't, you don't count as a white man. I'm sorry. I've got to tell this. Oh, yeah. He is not. He's, he's anything but. He, he, he's a, I mentioned last week about Della Soul John on my show. Yeah, I said, maybe you know we, should get, get chance, the, we should get the scholar of hip-hop. And you think, and I said, who's that then? He said, it's just John Bowd. <laughs> we, um, that would be, we, uh, we'll mention that later if we have the time. I don't know if we will because I'm waffling on here. Oh, one, I haven't got time, but I'll have to show you physically one day because it's a visual picture um, of an image I have burned into my mind, which was the look on a couple of – when I was a teenager and I happened to be wearing a Public Enemy T-shirt and the look of uh, two of my, my fellow ethnics – um, I, to this day, it makes me piss myself laughing. The look they gave me of the fact that I was wearing this T-shirt. Anyway, sorry, we're off the subject. So uh, let's talk about co-housing. I recently attended an event on this very subject. It was interesting as a different form of living, but I do believe it had some flaws, which um, which I will discuss. I think it's worth a little bit of discussion here on the show because we're always interested in, in alternatives. Now, as many of you know through experience or through following the news, uh, Britain is experiencing a major living crisis, greed crisis, really, based on the greed of a few who want everything. One of the worst criminals in the dark new world are landlords, uh, work-shy, lazy pieces of shit who want to charge you more money than you can afford to live in one of their shitholes that often damage your health and, due to the law, allow them to keep you in constant fear of being evicted all the time. Many people are therefore looking for alternatives. There are many community-based examples in other parts of the world to possibly build upon. For instance, Germany, Austria, Portugal, West Africa, various parts of the world can throw up some very interesting examples of alternative living. Co-housing is one form, and this is combining a more community-focused living arrangement with tenant ownership within the housing site itself. It is a highly social form of living that requires a secure area of land and full participation from those that live there. It started in Denmark, uh, believed to be around about 1972 or so, and it grew in the 1980s and 90s in the USA, where it became quite popular. More recently, the project has been picked up in Australia and Southeast Asia in the 2000s and now arrives in Britain. There is a co-housing community in Stroud uh, that appears to be doing rather well, although I don't think there's quite that many people living there right now. And there are other examples of women's housing collectives around Brent, among other places, I'm told. I need to investigate that. That was something that somebody mentioned at the event I'd like to know a bit more about. Um, obviously, if anyone is from that housing collective, you'd be very welcome to come on the show just to tell us about, you know, how you live and, and how it all works. Uh, there's also a, a co-op called Lilac, which was, was mentioned. Anyway, the event I attended was presented by co-housing Harrow, who described themselves as an intergenerational community from all different types around the Harrow area, very diverse community itself. They are motivated by a desire to create a housing project based on affordability and sustainability in their own words. While we have, uh, they have no land to speak of as of yet, they have gone as far as to set up the company and legal structure to make it a viable project. Harrow co, uh, co housing groups are looking to share their model of community led housing. Uh, co housing. Harrow is an intergenerational, I said all that, haven't I? Um, blah, 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 blah. Okay. 
This is a non-hierarchical organisation. Residents live separate lives, but within a common space, where uh, by choice you might take on the cooking and eating together, perhaps once a month or so. Uh, spend time with one another, plus all set up the uh, also are allowed to set up the use of communal resources. One example somebody used in their presentation was the idea of a tool shed, where those tools that you use once in a while are available for everybody to use as and when, like uh, you know, one one sort of main area where you can, as long as you make sure everyone knows you've taken it out. Um, it, this would obviously not include any of my tools, which I guard jealously and deeply, even though I use them about once every seven years. Fundamental to this is the need to find compromise among all people involved. People will have to find ways of agreeing with each other, including, as I said, uh, an actual compromise, whilst also making it all fun, in somebody's words. Non-hierarchical mandated fun tends to set off alarms in my head. Uh, I'll come to that in a minute. The dream is, uh, again, in the words of one of the presenters, you know your neighbours and you look out for each other. You leave the door unlocked, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, do you remember the days? This does sound like a fair bit of work involved, but nothing is set and all is open for discussion. Uh, at that point, we discuss, and on that point, sorry, we discuss collaboration. The political and economic benefits are that the cost of living is shared and therefore reduced. Uh, so basically, it's it's. I, I think co-housing, in a manner of speaking, is is giving a name and a position to something that pretty much anyone is able to do. Certainly, in previous eras, and I'm sure many of you had a similar experience to this. I certainly did. Uh, my grandparents, on various different sides, and, and uncles and aunties, would have moved out of the inner city when they could afford to, uh, for instance, when work allowed them to, and uh, would have bought one house for them all to live in. It would have cost them about five grand or something. And then slowly as they built their own savings, they would have moved out to their own houses. And, and eventually those houses would have been handed down to their children, perhaps their grandchildren. Anyway, um, the cost of living, sharing it and, and therefore reducing its impact. This includes the escalating cost of travel. And another aspect of the co-housing world is the aspiration to have entertainment, green space and more activities on your doorstep. The theory is that such things are closer to you in co-housing, assuming that you like your neighbours and you share low-level entertainment interests with them. Then there are the environmental benefits. For starters, residents would have more control over energy use and where it comes from within the legal means. Energy can be made environmentally beneficial. It is also aimed to make food more secure with the aim of growing on the green space, better waste transport and knowledge sharing. One presenter at the event discussed being accountable to one another as part of this. We were told that the lilac example co-housing scheme has a much smaller impact on the environment, 65% less greenhouse gas than the average family home. The social benefits include tackling the cost of loneliness, something some studies have shown is worse than obesity and smoking for a person's health. Good social connections are related to living longer, which is a public health issue itself. Plus creating safe places for children to play, which is always desirable, of course. At Lilac, it has been reported that 83% of the people talk to their neighbours, contrasting to an 18% nationally. This could also be of great benefit to those with learning disabilities, giving them the chance to live better with less isolation and more support, not perhaps needing the full-time support of family bonds or social services quite as much as they do now. Presently, co-housing Harrow is looking for a site for around 25, sorry, 20 to 35 households, as affordable as possible. Members would have an equal, an equal share in mutual home ownership, but they do not own the site outright. 
it's not a freehold and therefore they cannot be sold on. They stay within the co-housing situation. This reduces the presence of investors and other such power sites. If anyone seeks to sell theirs and move on, the money they will get will be uplifted to the National Earnings Index, but not to the market. And it will, of course, be sold back to the co-housing organisation than to be sold to someone else who comes along to live there. So starting off, all of this would require a minimum amount of equity of around 30 to 40 percent. Over time, all members would have to pay the same amount stated at the presentation of being around about £500,000 plus interest per family or individual. All members would have an equal share and a say, and as a group, they would have to negotiate with the bank. Now, some degree of interaction with the present system of housing is inevitable, according to the members of this co-housing group. Right now, this would likely be interacting with developers and paying their profit, which is problematic for a start. But of course, I understand, you know, that such things are difficult to do. Also, there is doubt about how well this could be distributed across the age ranges. Older people tend to have more capital and could buy in more easily. Younger people are presently experiencing the harder edges of the housing crisis with less freedom to advance. The presentation did admit that they would be interested in giving more. You have to be someone who is interested in giving more than you take in a situation like this, which is certainly no bad thing. Surely the point, if you get involved, in fact, uh, this would not be about pure self-satisfaction, but it would provide a good degree of security. Okay, so that was a summing up of the presentation. Now, let me give you a little bit of, of my position on feedback. Um, I think the ideals behind code housing are very admirable. It seeks to relieve people of the burden of a terrible housing situation, of which is rampant in Britain right now, and promote decent living for all. With, with concern given to quality of life, the environment, a sense of freedom to individuals, child care and food and energy independence. The main problem comes from what is inherent in all non-hierarchical organisations. It rests on the strength of individual relationships. This involvement in organising everyday life is not something very attractive to a majority of people who I believe would rather have their public services and such things organised for them and run very well in the interests of everybody. The process described sounds like it could involve a series of interactions with other residents that could be annoying at best and cause great conflict at worst. There is never any situation where someone does not try to take control. Okay, I've been around a lot of these organisations. I respect the people who get involved in them a lot of the time, but frankly, you are a little bit of fantasist if you honestly think that somebody with a dominant personality is not going to try and control this situation. They always do. The ideal of all having a voice is often overridden by those with the loudest voices, which can be very alienating. All of this could be a pain uh, to everyday life, but surely it's a substantial improvement on having a landlord. If this is a trade-off between arguing over the communal gardening or washing up once a month versus living in terrible accommodation and paying someone else's mortgage for the privilege, the co-housing model actually comes out very well. There are also questions of how secure this model is. If the process is based on all individuals maximising their skills, meaning they would do some things and not others, how can one be sure the finances are all correct or, or if the site is, is not bought out from under them? All in all, the idea has great merit. Uh, in my mind, council housing is still much better option. And uh, I will come to that in a minute. I'm going to talk about the Peach E16 group. But firstly, Dave, so that's my quick presentation. I think you read the report I did in it too. Well, what do you make? Um, I, 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 I congratulate you. Um, and I wish other people would do such extensive research before giving an opinion. And you have. 
but I'm from a different school, uh, John, not in regards to the whole concept of what you just spoke about. Um, I have a real issue talking about housing to certain people. Um, there's only certain people I could probably have a serious conversation, obviously yourself, uh, the non-white man. Um, the other non-white man is is Ivan, Ivan Hicks. And Pac-Man, he's definitely not a non-white man. Uh, because I get a uh, constructive view on housing. The trouble is, is when I speak to the ordinary Mo, and if you know what I mean by that, John, you should know. Yeah. Um, sometimes they're so engulfed in hate, and it can be any colour that I speak to, because they, they read and believe what they read. There's a lack of housing because of foreigners, and that could be a foreigner telling me that. Uh, because they believe what they read and, and, and listen to that shit. And, you know, and this is what it's become, that we, we, we really need to get out of this sea of hate um, and understand and do our research, as you did brilliantly uh, during, and I saw the document, John, it was fantastic. Um, I didn't circulate it um, as much as I should, because... I could only circulate amongst postmen, and the postmen are wonderful, 99.99%. But as I said, during, on that postman forum, them putting up a picture of that girl not getting a visa and saying it made his day, whereas 99.9% of us was watching the leader of this company lie. I think it's a... That's what I can't talk to people about housing. That's where we are. I can't talk to Indians about helping Muslims out in India being persecuted. 99% of Indians I can't speak to about that because that Modi thing has got so much sea of hate going on there. And I congratulate you for your research. I congratulate you on giving a really balanced view on housing, certainly in Harrow, um, where we do have opposition to housing um, migrant workers in Harrow, by the way, John, because I think Harrow's a lot different than what it was. Uh, thankfully, yeah. and I say thankfully, John, thankfully it is. Uh, but when I first moved here, oh, God, I mean, you know, playing loud music sometimes around here, you know, you get sad those people, John, you know. Uh, so mm. I congratulate you, John, on, on that. And listen, anything on housing and ch cheaper housing, fairer housing uh, for workers, certainly migrant workers, and we know there's a huge... Uh, we're missing that manual labour that we enjoyed in the 90s, John. You remember the 90s, John? That Wakefield oh, Saturday night, you know, we had, we had migrant yeah. workers there picking fruit when they were singing that, you know. Uh, yeah, so be careful, John, you know. I could bring, is, I could bring that song back. Having it, Oasis, know what I mean? Yeah, we're going, we're going down, going down to Greece. But yeah, 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 John, it's a serious seriousness, it's a fantastic document and a fantastic piece of, piece of research, and you're well entitled to have an opinion on it. What I don't want people is to have an opinion on housing based on what the Daily Mail or whoever, what, or the Guardian or whatever, yeah. based on what they say, and um, saying that, well, there's no housing because there's too many foreigners coming over here and taking our work and taking our jobs and... Well, okay, we know that's bollocks at the best of times, but I think you proved it anyway because you know they're not they're not taking the jobs because there's quite a lot of vacancies now that they're they're not coming over so much. Um, but also, I mean, if you want to, if somebody wants to force the issue of talking about certain divisions within people, you know, what's been found with with certainly many ethnic minorities, those of the South Asian heritage, among other things, is that they tend to 
live in one house, like entire members of, of families, even when they've got married, tend to more commonly live in the same houses together, for instance. I mean, if you, I was, look, I don't want to make these divisions. I don't care. There's one division between me. There's working class people and there's all the other fuckers. But the, the, the division is that actually, you know, that's far less common in most ethnic minorities. They're more interested in living together and having strong family bonds, of which, by the way, is one of the many things that I think there is a lot of jealousy going on. There's a lot of jealousy in regards uh, Muslim and, and Jewish communities. There's a lot of jealousy in regards, certainly the LGBT plus community and certain other ethnic minority communities, the kind of people who get shit done because they have formed strong bonds, the kind of bonds that basically your, your traditional English of one type or another jettisoned in the 1980s to vote for the political ideology of extreme individualism and now that's coming back to haunt you because you're broken and lonely rather than admit that you know you made a big mistake then in voting for the devil incarnate that actually no it's just the fault of all these other people who have still got those bonds because most of the time because they had to because they were busy being persecuted by the likes of you so you know i, I don't just want to do a show of me being a, a, a smarmy bastard and calling people out you know I, I don't mean it like that that's not really what this is for at the same time you know i, I don't censor myself and uh and you know if you're going to start the argument and take it in that direction then that's those are the options that you have now i think so many examples and the one i'm about to go into actually which lines this up very nicely is a very good example of what happens when you jettison all of that crap you know wrap it up in the flag and throw it in the sea and you actually find out what real solidarity and unity with with people around you actually means just the last thing I'd say on co-housing before I go into the next section is ultimately the system behind this is terrific. It's a system that's as old as time, which is people choosing to live together, either part of their own family, either making a family of their own. That doesn't need any kind of mandating. People do that anyway. Like I said, you know, buy, save money, buy a house, live together in it, and then wait until, you know, when you have enough money, one group buys you out and you go to another house. That's, that's how working class people used to do things. Uh, when we were allowed to, when we were able to. Um, I think the idea of spending that much time with any group of people is something that is just, just doesn't suit me. So, so I'll be honest about this. You know, that's again, I didn't go there imagining I was going to change my life. I went there to, to report back on what I consider to be an exciting and an interesting new idea. And I'm, I'm happy to have done that. But being as I'm someone who, for instance, is very much into music and uh, have had been very, very fortunate enough to see some amazing uh, live of artists on occasion. Um, the idea of trading that in for local guitar night with my co-housing group makes me want to ventilate my own head with a shotgun. So, but I'm sure if it works for some people, go for it. Anyway, moving on. Um, Peach E16, one group that has built around this ideal that I just mentioned is the Peach Group or Peach E16. Peach is a People's Empowerment Alliance for Custom House, which was founded in 2013 and includes, that I know of, according to their website, 150 residents. They are of and for the community of Customs House, existing to, in their words, support each other and to build our strength as a community so we can have a say over decisions which affect us. End of quote. 
The Docklands and Custom House area falls within the borough of Newham, which has experienced huge grotesque divides between rich and poor for some time. But community organising is empowering residents to fight back against corporate takeover. Peachy 16 began by discussing various issues that affected their lives. Unstable work, zero hours, broken houses that they were living in, losing loved ones to street violence, things like that. Real everyday things, you know, not whether or not a, um, a rather, you know, uh, rather disturbed Muslim teenager was stupid enough to, to travel abroad and whether or not she gets back into the country. These are the kind of real issues that affect people's everyday lives. The Docklands area, such as where Customs House comes up, has been subjected to a great deal of gentrification in recent years, including the mass sell-off of council housing in the 80s and the 90s, the knocking down of old working-class haunts to be replaced with an enterprise zone, Oh, where is that shotgun? And the general carelessness that has met the local residents are not rich enough to afford residency in one of the glass abominations that have replaced decent housing. London City Airport isn't too far away from there, um, and the XL Centre is around that area too, which is owned by Abbey Dabby now, I think, or something like that. Anyway, the Blair era, like the Thatcher era, also saw the outsourcing of the remaining council housing in the area to a company called Omega. Uh, with some of the properties sinking very quickly into chronic disrepair after this process took place. Meanwhile, the real areas of Canning Town and Customs House within the borough of Newham, as I exp- uh, expressed earlier, is now experiencing high levels of deprivation, poor health and job insecurity. 49% of Newham residents live in poverty and the borough has some of the highest homelessness rates in Britain. 4,500 Newham residents are in temporary accommodation and two thousand sorry, 27,635 households are on the way list as we speak and this is according to a uh, uh, i'll get the author's name later at the end but according to a tribune article which i i've used quite a lot of information from this was a context for residents coming together to form a tenants union and thus was born peach these folks have identified what unites them and rejected the division inherent in the present system. After noting all these issues, Peach identified four priority areas and voted on actions to address them. The resulting agenda was aggrieved, agreed, sorry, improving the jobs, housing, safety and health of customs house residents. So their achievements since their launch, again, uh, in 2013, just to remind you, Peach have, among other things, set up the Customs House Workers Cooperative, a cleaning company which is run and owned by its workers, uh, built street groups and taken collective action to ensure that the council carries out basic repairs in various buildings of residence. That includes roof repairs, window replacements, new bathrooms, kitchen cabinets, that kind of thing. They have launched groups to compile evidence to present to the council of the various failures, particularly of Omega and their parent company, a company called Tando Mears. Uh, this group have actually uh, categorized themselves as the Meerkats, which means they basically run around uh, trying to find out the various things that Tando Mears have, have, have just screwed up or failed to do. And then, as I say, uh, kick them further up the the the. the the pipe to uh, to report. They have established a shopkeeper's charter to protect the local high street through the regeneration program. Uh, parents' numeracy and literacy classes have been set up by primary school parents to enable them to support their children's education at home. Uh, never be afraid to re-educate yourself or better educate yourself on any issue, folks. Uh, there's no shame in anything that you missed out in school. Uh, it, is, it happens to a lot of people, more than you would imagine. So never be afraid to educate yourself. 
Uh, they have founded Alternative Regeneration. Uh, tenants began collaboration with architects and community organisers to imagine and plan an alternative regeneration programme led by local people, according to Tribune, and bring an end to housing injustice. Peach also won the support of uh, Rakashas Fias, if you'll, I hope I pronounced that right, Rakash Fias, who later became the mayor of Newham, who in 2017, when they were a councillor, proposed to ex- examine the contract with Omega's parent company, the aforementioned Tando Mears, after their various and dangerous failures of service in 2020 the council bought or brought sorry 250 of the houses back into their control with rent reducing by 60 percent tenants are now able to raise problems with the council and get them solved mears later tried to claim the extortionate rents that they had charged during lockdown threatening legal action against the tenants the meerkats um, who the, the 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 residents, as I said, launched a petition door to door in the neighbourhood and went on to rents and went on rent strikes, sorry, until their debts of approximately three hundred thousand pounds were forgiven. The group campaign campaign also managed to secure funding for refurbishments from Newham Council. This includes repairs, improvements, beautifying the area, that kind of thing. So cleaners and maintenance staff were around again. Uh, Five hundred. New kitchens and bathrooms, windows and doorsteps, and the council agreed to establish a repairs escalation service where tenants can meet with senior council officers and contractors once a fortnight to fast track desperately needed repairs and evaluate quality of service. This has led to tenants collaborating with the council and its employees in the planning, design and delivery of public services. But many locals who spoke to the Tribune magazine article that I mentioned said that they felt the biggest victory as they saw it was be being able to uh, rebuild the collective feeling in the area. After the Thatcher years saw many move away looking for work and those who stayed not making connection with the newcomers quite so easily, social institutions in the area were also broken down and some resentment grew about all of the new people moving in rather than just the parasitic rich ones. Peach also used the communal meeting area idea in some cases that we talked about a minute ago with co-housing, giving locals a chance to meet one another and talk in their neighbourhoods in ways that they had not previously managed. Now, I've always been more inclined to this sort of organising for a few reasons. For starters, it takes on the necessary political position, changing everyone's lives for the better in the neighbourhood rather than being closed off in one isolated community. The local connections are vital for sure. As the Tribune article says, quote, this new sense of community challenges the very conditions which help developers thrive, end of quote. I hope to visit this area. And get an interview sometime. I have actually written to Peach, and I don't know if anyone from there is listening or anybody knows anyone from that organisation, or if you know a, a similar organisation of your own. But I would very much like to feature you on the show sometime. I'm very interested in in this sort of powerful because basically what you've got here is not just um, taking council housing back into to public ownership to some degree, which absolutely is a mass project that should be engaged with at the first available opportunity, but this is the most productive thing you can possibly do. You know, these people were living in places which had been left to rot, literally, in some cases. Now, what did they do about it? Did they sink into despair, which is perhaps understandable. There's no judgment there. You know, did they sink into despair? Did they start sniping at one another? Did they start moaning about fucking immigrants down the road? No, they didn't. No, they haven't. They've done What they've done is they've got together. They've pushed their a, a very clear agenda, which is give us a better... Uh, a better life you know give us a better quality of living and that's exactly what they're achieving 
Um, it's, it's a huge achievement and, uh, and I love it. It's also a complete justification for the, um, subscription that I don't actually pay to Tribune magazine, but I quote from it at every available opportunity in order to make sure that uh, it's understood that I am actually using it. London and other cities are still full of deprived areas, but Peach E16 shows that alternatives are possible. Improvements to material life can be achieved. Communities can thrive and individuals can grow within them. Uh, it's a wonderful thing. I'm, I was very much taken by this story. I think it's great news. Uh, so the Tribune was issue 16, East London for the People by uh, Nilfa Erdem. So that was the, the writer who I quoted from quite liberally there and used the East, uh, the Peach E16 website itself, which you can find up. Actually, I'll send you the links now, Dave, for, for this week's stuff. So what do you make of that? Well, I mean, it's uh, uh, as far back as I can remember. Um with social housing, when I was growing up, um, there wasn't a stigma attached to it, for one. That's one. Uh, because the people living in those social housing were bus conductors, train drivers, postmen, nurses, doctors. Uh, so we all became cemented in that part of the community. My parents owned their own house, but I'd say most of the street, or 75% of the street, was social housing. But as I said, they contributed to society in regards... Because it was jobs no one wanted to do, you know. And you may say, say, well, you're exaggerating. Well, it was like that in the 70s. Um, And when we come to social housing maintenance, John, and the requirement of that, from what I understand, the workforce that normally used to do that that work, uh, or the firms that the councils hired to do that work for social housing... Certainly Newham, and Newham has been going as a problem as far back as I can remember, but I do remember Newham social housing maintenance was mainly Eastern European workers. From what I yeah. understand, there is a massive shortfall now on councils getting workers to do that maintenance work. And don't get me wrong, uh, those workers do want that work, but they just don't yeah. live here anymore. Um, so there's a real problem in, in recruiting maintenance workers to do that maintenance work on social housing and Newham has always been a problem as far back as I can remember mm. but it it was an ongoing problem that work was getting done so it's interesting to see how that labour shortfall we have in this country is going to get done even if this councils have money and I don't think they do John I think they, I think I don't think the councils are getting the money anymore which is a shame, really, but then that's a society. Look, I say, society's broken at the moment. I don't care what, yeah. where you live or what you look at these. I mean, you know, if you think these, look at these two talking shit. I'm telling you, society's broken. So based yeah, on that, no, no debate it is. Yeah. So based on that, we got a problem. And um, from what I understand, having speak, spoken to the PCS union, uh, who primarily are in um, council um, ad- admin roles they literally cannot get those maintenance workers who traditionally did that work which in the 90s and the 2020s or 2000s was polish people no disrespect and they wanted that work and they enjoyed that work but for some reason they're just not well we know what reason they're not here but maybe they're just not advertising it john yeah yeah i mean yeah like, okay so like you say the there there has always been those problems but but this is the way 
to overcome them. You know, this is joint. And again, you know, this, this has some relation to the co-housing example we used earlier. They're, they're both, uh, maybe I'm, I'm like this a little bit more out of a certain prejudice, if you like, because uh, it's more working class. I, I don't know, but, um, it, it is about rather than, as I said, you know, rather than sinking into, uh, to despair, uh, which is something that happens very easily. God knows I'd do it. And my uh, branch secretary can t- testify to that of the phone calls he's been getting for the last six months. But nevertheless, um, it is, you know, the, the most productive way forward. I mean, one after another, after another on this show, we use examples of people standing up and fighting back. Um, there's no debate really that that needs to happen. There really isn't. It's, it's, if you, I mean, if you think there is, if you think everything's going absolutely fine and peachy, you know, you're either Stephen Pinker or or you can just piss off because it's not you're not living in the same world as us. I mean, so maybe I don't mean it that that aggressively. Just like you're listening to the wrong show. All right, we're we're not here to tell you everything's fine. Here's an Oasis record. You know, that's not how it goes. John, John, so, do you think in the '90s, uh, <laughs> one of the things that was picked up in the '90s, and <laughs> apart from Wigfield. Um, one of the things I noticed in the 90s, John, in regard to collective strength, yeah. was people saying, and it was apathetic, we became very apathetic. It, that's, that's honestly one of the reasons why I hate that era so much. It but was, yeah, it was almost like, well, okay, we're going to take industrial action, and it was industrial action in the 90s. But I found every other member said, leave it to the next guy. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? It, it was like, yeah, oh, well, I, you'll do it for us and I'll just carry on with, you know, and it became very apathetic. You know? That was the plan. I think that was the plan. That's why, you know, Thatcherism led to Blairism, which was managerial Thatcherism, which Starmer is trying to bring back now with uh, the, the backing of the same ideological extremists that gave us that kind of Blairism. Now, not only do I dislike it for the various personal reasons I do, it could not be a worse system that you could use right now. Now, and th- this is where you and I differ on uh, something a little here. And again, it's, there's no reason not to, you know, we're not going to argue about it, but I know that you often talk about the importance of voting. As I've got older, actually, I see the, po- the importance of voting less and less because the examples I've used this evening of Peach is a very good one. And the examples of the various trade union organizations that we've talked various trade unions and their organizing that we've talked about in recent times is people actively participating in their own lives and that being the most political thing they can do because they're actively improving the lives themselves and the community around them if there is no political party offering you anything like that at a national level why bother voting for them? So I'm just a very strong believer in the need to, you need to provide me a reason to vote for you. Labour provided me a reason to vote for them in 2017, 2019. I was very, very happy to do so. Those manifestos were full of this kind of meaningful action and they have been more than proven to be absolutely what we needed at this particular time, certainly before we went into a pandemic, an economic slowdown, uh, and a cost of greed crisis, which is ultimately seeing the complete collapse of the country as we speak, not least the collapse of our healthcare system uh, and the mass strikes that's led. Do you remember all that stuff? Like, well, Corbyn will take us back to the seventies with mass strikes and, and shortages of everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's uh, not. Uh, John, I think if anyone, anyone in this world was con- convinced me otherwise, it's yourself. But as I said, you're very well researched. Um, but I would say, being an old person. <laughs> You're not much older than this. Um, 
uh, I could be a senior citizen. Uh, but what I would say, traditionally, because I, I study um, political turnouts and, and how things came about, if that makes any sense politically, is the Republican Party and the Conservative Party traditionally cack themselves every four years because people get to make a choice which they don't like. Yeah. Um, and the two parties I mentioned, and I'm not saying I'm not a supporter of them or I am a supporter of them or whatever, but what I will say is politically and historically they get in on low turnouts. What those two parties bank on is for people not to turn out. But yeah. that's because I'm old and <laughs> you can convince me otherwise because you're very well read. Yeah, and on that, I don't think you're you're wrong. I think those low turnouts are intentionally constructed, which, I mean, again, 17 and 19, we had huge turnouts, much bigger. You went 17. Now, I, I can't remember the numbers entirely on 2017. I think it was something closer to around the 60% mark. That's up from David Cameron forming a government in 2015 based on 26% of the electorate. And these are the people who passed laws telling you and me that our trade union needs 50% in order to get a strike vote to go through. So... <clears throat> Yes, you know, they, they were, they are designed to do exactly, they're designed to make you disconnect from politics. Now, you are not disconnecting from politics if you're getting involved in the kind of things that we're talking about right now. If you're getting involved in your trade union, if you're putting down the phone or the newspaper and not reading the, you know, the websites that are trying to create, create division. And just back quickly back to what you're saying, you know, about the nines. One, you know, one day, <clears throat> honestly, if I can mentally handle it, and I'm not really exaggerating, I will go into a great deal. To, to you about why I hate the nineties as an era so much. Um, it's definitely cultural, but it's also very personal too. Um, it's, you know, certain hard times I was having, but also, yeah, it was that kind of, it was that intense individualized, you know, st I think stratification might be the right word. Um, I'm a bit too tired to look up the right word. I think that's right. Uh, of, of people just feeling that as, and as you've reported back there, a great example of people feeling it's kind of like there's only the individualization and uh, Blairism continued that, if not, you know, widened it and made it worse. And what they gave us culturally was not worth a toss at the best of times, but also because British culture is completely moribund and it has been since, since the eighties, you know, since they stopped um, working class people getting grants to go to further education and, you know, forming bands and, and writing books and stuff like that, uh, that they, that has been basically the case, it's been ever decreasing levels of, of, uh, cultural worth that have been produced in this country and, and perhaps globally too, but definitely in this country. But you know, that th was that, that was the project. The project was to make you disconnect, you know, there's no other options than this. And what will happen is we will manage it better than the other lot until the Tories get back on their feet and then go, actually, we're better managers. And basically, we just live in a nation of middle managers, which is a nightmare in itself. Now, whether you like that or not, fast forward a bit to the present day. <clears throat> That's completely gone now. You know, so many organizations that had those middle managers don't have them anymore because they realize they were a drain and they've they've excluded those jobs. You know, you're in a position of economic turmoil. Um, and 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 personal term, you know, you've got a country that's got more food banks and branches of McDonald's. You've got people suffering such a great deal. You've got people going on organisations of workers going on strike that have never been out before. And your answer is yet again 
to retreat to the past, a slightly more recent past than the Brexiteers tried to give us, but nevertheless to retreat to the past and try and revive a dead politics and go, here you are. Now, as a great fan of you know the welfare state, as you can probably imagine, great, but I, I need it to go, I want it to be protected, but I need it to go forward. I'm not saying give me the politics of the 1940s all over again in the 1950s, because it wouldn't work. So even just from a basic level, never mind the fact your opinion might be different from me about Blairism or whatever, how you can't just resuscitate a corpse. It doesn't work like that. And that's what these people are trying to do politically. You're not offering us anything, not to mention what wretched people they are and and liars. And I mean, you know, we all hated Boris Johnson for a number of reasons, and many of us still do because we have long political memories. But, you know, one of the things was, oh, this man is such a liar. Okay, what is Keir Starmer? Ten pledges and he's broken them all. Ten pledges that he made in order to get into power. And now many of the people who voted for him thinking he was going to be the continuity candidate for the left have now been expelled from the party over various bullshit that's been made up about them. Uh, and shout out to Pamela Fitzpatrick, who's who's taken trying to take the Labour Party to court and has a fundraiser on this. I'm happy to support. You know, that's the reality of, of this situation. And that's, that's all I'm asking for is for people just to be realistic and go forward and you do it by you know don't just get up and vote once every four years it's not good enough you need to do more than that we all need to do more than that no one who's starving right now is going to be benefited by you bothering to trot down to the uh voting booth next year with your id of course which i i'm not doing uh, I, I don't need to show you my id to, to vote and if that's the case and i won't vote at all uh you know you don't that's just not good enough is basically what i'm saying sorry i got slightly off the subject there but i think you get the idea uh, no, John, uh, absolutely. Um, John, I'd like to thank you very much. It's been a wonderful show, uh, very thoughtful, very inventful, very informative, as usual. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, um, it, 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 and anything that, listen, regardless of voting or not, anything that, that, that sort of illustrates to me or the coming together of community, which I was told in no uncertain terms in the 80s that, to get rid of community, anything that displays a coming together of communities, regardless of voting or not, count me in. Um, John, many thanks, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you. You will indeed. Thanks again, mate. All 